0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 15, Education Systems Around the World. From Time Out, Let's Talk Policy, a podcast from the Foreign Policy Youth Collaborative. I'm your host, Emma Zafari. FPYC is a teen-run, nonpartisan nonprofit that highlights youth voices on global issues and bridges the gap between teens across the political spectrum. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Just remember, all opinions represented in this podcast and all other FPYC opinion content are that of individuals and do not represent the organization. Today on Time Out Let's Talk Policy, we will be focusing on how education systems differ around the world. We will start off by discussing the HP 1218 Bill in the US and how it pertains to education and educational inequality. After, we will play a game to test how much contestants know about educational inequality. Then we will have a discussion surrounding this question, what differentiates the education systems of developing countries with those of first world countries, and how does this affect their standing? Finally, Senjena will be reading her op-ed about the French education system. Before we get started, here's This Week in the News. Russians are protesting in more than 100 cities in support of the jailed opposition leader, Navalny. Kaja Kalas, the chair of Estonia's center-right reform party, has been tasked with forming a cabinet to replace the previously collapsed government, which would make her Estonia's first female prime minister. Additionally, two bombings killed at least 32 people in Baghdad, Iraq, making it the first massive attack in years.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Ayushi and I'm going to be hosting the creative segment this week. Today I'm going to be discussing education inequality and specifically the HB 1218 bill that has been passed in our Kansas recently and how it's so detrimental to not only the kids in the schooling system but also society as a well. whole. This bill states that our Kansas public schools will lose funding if the schools allow classes or ECs in regards to topics like race, political affiliation, social classes, and gender. Personally, I believe that without these convos, there would be more people less inclined to be under understanding issues like race, social class, gender, etc. This is just misinformation. Without these topics being spread to them, it's detrimental and it's dangerous. And, you know, we can use the example of what happened to the Capitol. These people had been spread so much false information and so much twisted information that they made it their reality and they acted out on it and it it caught like misinformation causes people to do crazy things so i don't understand personally why the arkansas public school system and this bill has been passed and it's really disgusting to see and in my opinion you can't erase some of the most prevalent parts of history in and today's time you know a lot of this does play into factors of today's issues from someone's book or course and in my opinion there needs to be a lot more change made I honestly find it disappointing to see that this is happening in a state in America right now. And of course, I can only imagine how much agony a lot of the students in Ar- Arkansas are probably going through right now. And it's frustrating. It, probably, it definitely is. Like, you know, I'm from New Jersey and I, I couldn't imagine a bill like that being passed here. So honestly, if you're, if you're from Arkansas and you're listening to this, um, shout out to you. I hope, I hope everything's going to work out because that's absolutely disgusting. And I think that there needs to be serious change made. And that being said, that's the
0: end of the creative segment. Thank you for listening in today. See you guys on the next run. Thank you guys so much for that informative information. Next up, here are Maddie and Serena to test contestants' knowledge on education inequality. Hey everyone, I'm
2: Maddie.
3: And I'm Serena. Welcome back to another game segment. This week, we're going to be discussing international education systems and educational inequality.
2: Though education is a serious and recognized issue, and many steps have been taken towards achieving further educational equality, there's still so much more to be done.
3: To help us cover the topic, we have Helena with us today. Would you like to introduce yourself?
4: Hi, my name is Helena, and
3: I'm a content producer here at FPYC.
4: Great. If you're ready, then
3: let's get started. All right, so starting off with question one. The United Nations developed a series of goals for sustainable development that the world as a collective is striving to meet. Goal 4 discusses educational equality, specifically stating that the UN hopes to, quote, ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all, end quote. According to their website infographic, how how many children are projected to be out of school in 2030? Your options are A, zero children, B, 50 million children, C, 200 million children, or D, 400 million children. I'm going to have to go
4: with C, 200 million children.
3: All right, Helena, you were correct. And the United Nations stated that this figure shows how, quote, progressive towards inclusive and equitable quality education was too slow, end quote, even prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, which has only pushed us back further. So I thought this statistic was really unfortunate considering that there's so many children that um, hope to be in education and receiving a quality education, but unfortunately there are 200 million children that will be out of school. So that was really um, unfortunate and interesting to learn, but sad at the same time.
2: I also agree that it's really sad, but I think that it's important to continue to make progress. And I hope that after this COVID-19 pandemic, we will continue in the right direction. But moving on to the second question, when discussing educational inequality, it is impossible to ignore the influence that gender inequality plays in determining access to education. Girls have always faced more difficulty when it comes to obtaining an education due to long-standing gender norms and rules. A measure of how equal a nation is in terms of the difference in access to education between males and females is the gender parity index. The GPI is the quotient of the number of females enrolled in a level of education to the number of males. So which country has the lowest GPI? in regards to secondary school, as of 2018. Your answer choices are A, Eritrea, B, Afghanistan, C, the Philippines, or D, Nepal.
4: My best guess is C, the Philippines.
2: So, unfortunately, you were incorrect. The correct answer is actually B, Afghanistan. So, Afghanistan has a GPI of 0.67, which demonstrates significant inequality considering how close the male and female populations are. Um, So, I would say on average for every 10 males enrolled in secondary school, which is like middle school and high school, uh, there's only six to seven females.
4: Wow, I did not know that and it's honestly super shocking and Personally, as a girl, I sometimes take my education for granted, even though there are so many girls across the globe who are struggling
3: and probably desperately want to be educated. I really admire what you just said, Helena, too, because sometimes I know that I do and a lot of other people will take our education for granted. But like you said, there are so many other people who wish they could be educated and be enrolled in school and... Earlier, like you said, Serena, as well, um, it's important that the UN developed the series of goals for education around the world, and I think that we should um, globally be trying to meet those goals, especially in places like like Afghanistan, where the GPI is so
0: low.
2: Yeah, I think that education is something that ideally everybody should be able to take for granted because nobody should be going without it. Um, and so I think it's definitely really sad to see that in some places it's just unattainable for a lot of people
3: yeah of course so moving on to question three although there has been a global push and focus on getting more children to enroll in primary school according to brookings and american research group about how many years behind is the developing world when compared to developed countries in terms of education a, 50 years, B, 20 years, C, 100 years, or D, 75 years?
4: I'm going to go with A, 50 years, and I really hope it's not 100 years because that'd make me
3: really sad. So yeah, unfortunately, the correct answer is C, 100 years, and I definitely do wish that it was, that it was lower But in the past 200 years, according to Brookings, both flourishing democracies and autocratic regimes have consistently played a great deal of importance on schooling, just as countries with robust and expanding economies invested in schooling as eagerly as countries with stagnating GDP figures, which means that economic growth in both corrupt countries and some of the least corrupt countries was almost the same. So ideally, you would think that... um, all governments are trying to push for students to be enrolled in school on um, a significant basis or measure, but that's not always the case. I think
2: there are a lot of like differentiating factors between developing and developed countries. But I think the most, um, like one of the more obvious ones is education and like how many people have access to not just an education, but a An education that has quality and really is more than simply just going to school for like an hour a day and not learning a whole lot. Um, And so I think it's definitely important when looking into education, educational inequality, to look at the quality of education in different places. Uh, Okay, so going on to question four. According to the United Nations Children's Fund, what percent of school age children worldwide do not attend school due to war, conflicts, and global poverty? Your answer choices are A, 5%, B, 22%, C, 11.5%, or D,
4: 8%. I think it's B, 22.5%.
2: So, you were kind of close. The correct answer is actually C, 11.5%. And unfortunately, this is about 123 million school-aged children that are not able to attend school due to circumstances that they have no control over. However, the UN also states that if all children were to receive both a primary and secondary education, about 69 million new teachers would be needed. So, it is a sort of give-and-take relationship. However, I do think that hiring more teachers is definitely worth the cost of Educating a good number of students.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said about teachers, Serena, but at the same time, um, living in the United States, I think we can all say that teachers seem to be a little underappreciated. And I really hope that in the future they start to be paid um, significantly more, considering that they're teaching the whole, they're teaching every new generation of students. people that go on to be doctors, lawyers, and um, will have a great impact on society. So yeah, I hope that they'll um, be paid more in the future. And unfortunately, this statistic, this statistic of how many children aren't able to attend school due to these circumstances is sad, to say the least.
4: Yeah, I agree with you guys 100%, and this week's topic actually reminds me of a recent book I read for one of my classes called Waiting for Superman, which discusses the U.S.'s public school system, and in the book they really talked a lot about how great teachers are the key to successful schools, and it really opened my eyes to how big of a role a teacher can play in a student's life, so I really think that they should be appreciated more too
3: yeah so definitely I think that we can all agree from this game segment that we learned a lot about education and um, educational inequality and I think it was a really meaningful and um, important discussion to be had so with that it seems that Helena finished the game off with a total of one points which definitely is not something to be upset about because they were hard questions but at the same time um, we definitely learned a lot so thank you so much for playing
2: Yeah, thank you all for joining us this week. Thank you, Helena. And we cannot wait to see you all again. Bye.
0: Great job, contestants. Now we have Mahika and Helena and their guests for the discussion segment.
4: Hi, I'm Mahika. And I'm Helena, and this is the discussion segment of the FPYC podcast.
5: This week's discussion question is, what differentiates the education systems of developing countries from those of first world countries,
4: and how does this affect their standing? Here we have Zane, Ayanna, and Mateo as this week's guests.
6: Hi, my name is Zane, and I'm a content producer
7: here at FPYC.
5: Hi, my name is Ayanna, and I'm a graphic design director at FPYC.
7: Hi, I'm Mateo. I work on the YouTube channel for FDIC and I'm an international cohort leader.
5: Great. What do you all think about this week's question?
7: I have many thoughts about the question
6: actually. I think it's I think I think we often in like the West and like more developed countries, we tend to underestimate how truly important is education is to gaining more financial opportunity?
5: Mm, yeah. So the little I know about international education, like last year, we spent a huge amount of our time on India for season and comparing <laughs> their education systems in the north versus the south of India and their urbanized education versus right? so their non-urbanized education, like their agricultural education, stuff like that. And when you receive more education, teen birth rates go down, um, family sizes go down. It's just just so obvious that education is the path to make less developed countries more developed. And it's the best way to make life, like living standards, just like the best they can be in developing countries.
7: Yeah.
6: So just bouncing off that idea, um, something I've observed, and like, so basically I'm from, I'm originally from the Indian subcontinent and I have many of my family members, they openly just reject going to college from where they're, from their original countries. And they tend to go to like, if if they have the grades and they're smart enough, they just tend to leave their own countries and go to like countries such as the United Kingdom and the USA to study at college. And Of course, I think the main idea behind this is like, that's great if you want to study away from like your hometown, but so many people just aren't afforded that privilege, aren't afforded that idea to just like, hey, I'm just going to go outside of the country to study because my country's universities suck. I think, yeah, I think the main thing that like, I think the main thing this question entails, and I think we we could potentially focus on in this podcast is like how we can solve educational inequality. And finding like what makes it worse in different countries and then maybe identifying solutions. Because I think that Mm -hmm. I think that's the main thing that
7: like is.
5: Yeah,
7: I I agree with both of you. I think that I mean, I, I think really Ayana, you really hit the nail on the head in that observing how much education has to do with the development of a country. I think just, and that's why I'm so excited that this topic of of the podcast you guys chose was about education. Really, I also also, um, edit this podcast and we were given the vote of what subject we should talk talk about. And when um, education was proposed, I was just very excited because I think it's such an integral and important point to talk about. And I think, as you said, Ayana, I mean, look at just Korea, look at Korea, look at how after the war, the investment really went into education and how... Um, they were able to rebuild as a country of of really pushing their public investment into education. That's how they got so far. And look at Korea right now, how much they are considered this advanced, almost technologically, very far from many other countries. Um, And they were just, you know, 60 years ago. I mean, it's just insane. And I think it's just, it just shows the power of education.
5: Absolutely. That's so true. And you see that with all these other countries like Japan, and I'm just going off of what I know, but I think it's incredibly important to make sure that their education system just doesn't get completely Westernized because it would just strip them of their culture, it'd strip them of their country's individuality if they followed only the British and American system. I think it's important to make sure that those developing countries have curriculums that are applicable to their country's lifestyle.
7: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, look, I, I, I'm from Ecuador, so we would be considered a, a um, developing country. And I mean, i must say not all education is, is kind of created equal. I know people who are you know, part of the Ecuadorian educational system who have a wonderful education and who, who I bet you have a much better education than many, many hundreds of thousands of people in, in the United States. So it's not really, I would say, where you are geographically. It's more what schools you have access to. Of course, that kind of comes with, I mean, it goes hand in hand. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to like bounce off that idea.
6: I, so I've done a lot of like, um, I've done a lot of papers on this, on this subject. And I've honestly learned that being that like economic, economic standing definitely affects like your education as well. I mean, like, obviously, like I understand that's like more of a given, but I think I tend to think that like, in our like in Western society and in like particularly the United States, we tend to underestimate how economics affects the level of education kids receive. Um, You can see in multiple, it's very, it's very study proven that like people who live in poorer neighborhoods generally tend to score less on SAT grades, tend to score less on just in their normal grades. And I think that the best way, I think, Solving educational inequality comes with and is packaged with solving economic inequality. I think the two are inextricably
7: linked. Yes. I mean, of course, I agree with you, Zane. I still think of given one option either to solve economic issues or solving educational issues. As you say, it's so tied, but it kind of goes both ways, right? I mean, if you're not educated, then you can't access better jobs. so You can't get out of the kind of economic situation. But if you're already in that economic situation, you can't get good education. So it's this very vicious kind of cycle that keeps on going. And I think that you can either go the approach of saying, no, if people get out of economic disparity, then they'll be able to access better education. Or you can say if they get better education, they're going to be able to get out of the ec- economic situation, which my preference would be that because I think if you give somebody the tools, it's, it's like that saying, you all know the saying with like the fishing and the, and the fisher and the fish. It's just give people the tools to know how, what they need to learn and they'll be able to get out of themselves. You don't have to give them all the money, just in, invest in education. I think that goes for the rest of the world. I think that's that's where progress is so to get allow people to really learn. And, and with that, I think we we got the signal to, to, to wrap it up. With, unless you have anybody else has any closing thoughts, I think that's all from my hat. Yeah, I, I disagree with everything you just said. I'm glad we were able to have like, a really thoughtful <laughs> discussion on the topic.
5: Yeah, thank you all for coming on and for a really insightful conversation today. Thank you so
4: much for having us.
6: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.
4: That's all for today. See you guys next week with a brand new episode.
0: Thank you for the productive conversation. Finally, here's Jenna to read her op-ed entitled, France Needs to Take Care of Its Teachers and Its Muslim Residents.
8: On October 6, Samuel Patty, a middle school civics teacher, gave a lesson about free speech to his pupils, in which he showed caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad, which is offensive in the religion of Islam. He gave the options to his Muslim students to sit the lesson out if they felt it would offend them. Over the next 10 days, parents filed complaints to the school administration and posted about Mr. Paddy on social media. On October 16th, an 18-year-old extremist went to Paddy's school, paid two students to confirm Paddy's identity, followed Paddy as he was heading home, and beheaded him with a butcher knife. Paddy was solely doing his job, teaching the French curriculum and the principles that rule French society, freedom of speech and freedom of religion, the right to partake in it, and the right to opt out of it. This secularism is an integral part of French national identity, with the French Revolution being as much a religious upheaval as it was a political upheaval. France's secularity laws have stirred up tremendous controversy over the years and have been criticized as being intolerant. In 2004, they barred wearing any sort of religious symbol in public schools. This includes wearing a cross necklace for Christians, wearing a kippah for Jews, and wearing a hijab for Muslim women. French President Macron made clear in the speech about the attack attack saying, we won't renounce the caricatures. The Muslim community in France, however, whose members are mostly law-abiding citizens, are having a difficult time finding their place in the country. Laws like the one preventing religious symbols in public schools seem to affect people of Islamic faith more than they do other ones. For example, the importance of wearing a hijab for a Muslim woman is higher than wearing a cross necklace for a Christian. In protests, caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad are being projected on public buildings, seeming to purposefully mock the religion. It is completely understandable for the Muslim community in France to feel unincluded, targeted, and unprotected by the French government, especially when they take effort to prevent the mockery of other religions like Judaism. However, President Macron has been careful in the past to draw a line between practitioners of the Islamic faith and radical groups. Even recently in his speech regarding Samuel Patti, he made a clear statement about steering away from stigmatizing all Muslims and instead stressing, and instead stressed combating Islamic separatism, the problem that France has been facing in trying to integrate Islamic immigrant communities. He proposes preventing excessive homeschooling, preventing the ease of imams to travel overseas, and enforcing strict communications with mosques. The greatest criticism for Macron arises when he says things such as Islam is a religion that is in crisis today, all over the world. By saying this, Macron opens the conversation up to generalities about the Islamic religion and creates an environment where Islamophobic, anti-immigrant, alt-right sentiments are free to run wild. What happened to Samuel Patti is a horrendous, disgusting thing. The government must take measures to prevent something like this from ever happening again. However, they cannot simultaneously create a hostile environment for their Muslim residents. Not only would that be against their principles as a nation, it would be unhelpful in their goals of integration.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Time Out Let's Talk Policy, a podcast by the Foreign Policy Youth Collaborative. To learn more, visit us at fpyouthcollab.org or any of our social medias at fpyouthcollab. Once again, all opinions expressed in this episode are that of individuals and do not represent FPYC as an organization. Tune in every Monday morning for more FPYT. See you guys next week. A special shout out to Lee and Mateo, our incredible editing team.